Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stronghold Podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, please don't forget that you can find it on iTunes, you can find it on Apple, you can find it on Google Podcasts, on YouTube, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And uh, I'm here with Kaishong Sim, the main event from Lion City Championship. And also, dude, I called your last two fights. You were also the had a super fight on the SGI, the Singapore Grappling Invitational. Oh, What's yeah. up, man? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. What's How up? you doing? Look at that shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got the crazy new setup here. Last week it failed with uh, Major on the podcast for whatever reason. I'm sorry, guys. We lost the video on that podcast. We have no idea what happened. Everything was good. We thought it was fine. And then as soon as we tried to open the file for whatever reason, it wouldn't work. That's because we got this crazy new setup over here. And Jake, the producer, is loving it. What's up, Jake? <laughs> no, no, I'm just having a panic attack while I was trying to make this, trying to make this new setup work. But I mean, Chad, all good, keep, all good. Keep that on you, dude. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to zoom. <laughs> Look at the... Whoa. Look at that. You want to know what our setup looks like? Too much That's stuff. what that Too shit much looks stuff. like. Pretty sick, dude. I'm going to get real deep. And then I'll give you a normal one. I don't want to see your pores. It's good. Okay. It's good. So, uh, Kaishong, man, how are, you, how are you feeling after the fight, dude? Yeah, I'm pretty good, man. Uh, just trying to chill out a little bit. Like, I'm trying to tone down my training schedule a little bit. Just try to recover from the nagging injuries here and there from the camp. Yeah. How long did you do uh, How long did you do the training camp for? Mm, actually, I feel like this entire half a year was pretty much a training camp. Because <laughs> it was just one thing after the other, after the other, you know. Like, uh, I had surgery in March. Oh, shit. What did so, you have surgery on? Uh, my foot. So, I had a list frank injury from somebody, like, forward rolling onto my foot. Yeah. So, uh, I, had, I was on crutches for a couple of months. And then, uh, yeah, I just hopped right back into it. So, I had to kind of get used to moving on two feet again and stuff like that. And then... Uh, uh, I was either being a training partner or training for my own uh, fights, you know. So, um, I was, to start off after the surgery, I was training a lot with Oz because he's preparing for the national trials, but that didn't go through. And then yeah. after that, yeah, it was just my own. And from there, I had the SGI. I did, actually did a boxing sparring match as well. In oh, between, you did? In between the fights, yeah. Oh, yeah. right on. Uh, it kind of sucked because, as in, it was pretty tiring because it was uh, one week after SGI. Oh, like so, you the did SG- so you've done like three in a, the span of two or three months or something like that, uh, right? Yeah, something like that. More what was SGI? More what was the date for that? Uh, I want to say mid-September or so. Yeah, I think so something like that, yeah. you've been really active recently then. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's that? Yeah. Jake, can you... You got a second. Can you pull up the Liz Frank injury? I hear that's that one's pretty brutal. Uh, it yeah, it was really really pain. Like my foot just blew up for a bit. Yeah, so um, you can see the scar here actually. Yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, so I think my foot was like like is, that, is it a ligament? Is that what yeah? It is? It's a ligament in the midfoot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's take a look mm-hmm. at this because I've heard a few fighters talk about this. I think it's a pretty common injury. Mm-hmm. The Liz Frank injury. It happened when you were sparring. What? Did you get uh, knee was, or uh, elbow on the top of the foot, or was actually, it just planting? It was a. Uh, we were rolling. Yeah, it kind of sucks because it's like it was the last round and I wasn't even supposed to be going. But somebody was like, hey, you want to jump in? And I'm like, ah, okay, okay. always how it happens. Yeah, right? <laughs> then I, I went for a guillotine and uh, my friend tried to forward roll out of it. So it just oh, ended up like boom right on my foot. That's a rookie mistake, yeah. man. Forward rolling right. through a guillotine. Mm-hmm. I, I have the video of me rolling with it and then I like you can hear me just scream in the background like, ah, fuck. Yeah, yeah those ligaments, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. they're brutal if you, if you tear those. Can you throw up there and let's... It's, okay, so you got the the picture. Can you can you see the find the Google search? I want to know what the actual like Wikipedia is for what a Liz Frank injury is, because I hear people talk about this injury all the time. It's one of the pretty common one amongst fighters, and uh, so so yeah, that's exactly where your your yep. scar is right mm-hmm. there on your pretty foot. Much, pretty much, it's a pretty yeah. gnarly scar, dude. Even still, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I I went to Google the um the actual procedure that they did. It's called a tightrope surgery. It's kind of it's so freaky because they put like this titanium. Uh, ropes in between. So I actually have two scars. So one here and then one in the side. Oh, yeah. So they kind oh, of fucking... God. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck they do. They just like 
shake that got you that like shit. a fish man yeah pretty much pretty much yeah it, it blew up after the surgery so it was like really really swollen Ooh. yeah what do you, what do you got there just... <laughs> what do you got there Jake on that Liz Frank injury I want to know what this it's this thing white. Jake's it's got a lot of new things to play screens. with a lot of things to play with can you uh, read that for me so we have uh, a Liz Frank joint injury it's a type of injury to the bone or ligaments or both in the middle part of your foot in a Liz Frank joint injury, there's usually damage to the cartilage covering these bones. In the middle region of your foot, midfoot, a cluster of small bones form an arch. So I don't. How did it happen when he when you he forward rolled on a guillotine? Like what happened to your foot actually in the process of the roll? Um, did it like bend or twist or? So so pretty much right. So uh, I think so. Normally, what happens is when people go for that, I try to hit. Uh, the mounted guillotine mm. so like from close guard right? Through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. so I was basing my foot like uh, you mind if I move over from the mic yeah, yeah go for it so like this way oh yeah up right. on your toes so, so he falls over and his ass just then bang oh and then, shit yeah. and then I just immediately felt it it just blew up and then yeah I was just out for a really long time and I was a really I was a dumbass about it also so it happened like end January and you know how fighters are right? like so stubborn, I was like, yeah, I, I think nothing's wrong, I just need to rest it. So, I didn't actually get the surgery until, like, March. So just Wait, what was the injury? Uh, end January. Oh, shit, so yeah, you just, so just, just broke through it. <laughs> pretty much, I was in denial for a bit. Like, I, I went to, like, one specialist, he told me it was probably just a strain. But it wasn't getting better after, like, so long. So, I was like, I decided to get a second opinion, and then he's like, yeah, you need surgery for this. Oh, shit, man. Yeah. And then, how long did you take off after the surgery? Uh, so surgery was like start of March and then uh, probably got back into it June, May or June, something like that. Yeah. But okay, started... that's not too, too bad. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not, that's not too bad. I thought it would be one of those longer ones, like six mm-hmm. months or a year or something. Cause usually those ligaments are pretty brutal, but you've had a hectic schedule toward the end of the year. Cause you had Singapore grappling invitational. And then a week after that, you did a boxing thing. Mm-hmm. The legends, uh, sparring. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you just had your fight. Was it two weeks ago now? Yeah. Three, pretty much. Three pretty weeks much. ago, something like that. So you're just taking a little a little time off, mm-hmm. let yeah, the body no, heal. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, just being a training partner more than anything, cause uh, might have some teammates that are gonna fight soon, but I don't think I'm supposed to say it out, say out like officially. You know? Oh, so yeah. oh. tell me after the yeah. podcast, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Unofficially. <laughs> yeah, tell me later, man. That's yeah. that's sick. I mean, you guys got a great squad between you and and. Tiffany Teo and Oz and mm-hmm. I mean Oz just won won the tournament and then you also competed on that and obviously Tiff's a fucking beast yeah. so you guys got a good little crew I see Fuzz is training mm-hmm. with you guys a lot still mm-hmm. and yeah so you got a fucking sweet little crew man so what was the what was the feeling like because this was your first fight since the pandemic began right most recently mm-hmm. yeah pretty yeah like the last time I fought pro MMA was like two years ago mm-hmm. 2019 did you feel like uh you know, did you feel any jitters? Did you feel like, oh shit, here we go again? Like, did it feel like the feeling new again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was nervous as fuck, man. Like, I just, it's hard to describe, you know? Like, I just, just worried, like, half yeah. the time. And I feel like a bit of, there was Anxious, a bit of, Anxious, right? Anxiety. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. There was a bit of added pressure also, because I think everybody expected me to win. They did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did, including me. Mm-hmm. But, but it's one of those things where, like, everybody thinks you're going to win except yourself, you know? As yeah. in, you still have the doubts, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you still have that confidence, but you still have the doubts as well. Yeah. Yeah, the doubts are, are a crazy thing with mm-hmm. with fighters. Mm-hmm. People don't realize it because you know it is. It's a it's an interesting parallel because of course 
when you train and you are, you are get skilled and you become very skilled, you believe in yourself, but that belief only goes to a certain point because of course the potential that you lose still exists. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it's how managing that and trying to put on the face. Like Charmaine was always like when she would compete, she hasn't fought yet and fighting is a, a different animal, but she's always like, Oh, everybody looks so confident. Everybody looks so confident. I feel so scared. I'm like, yeah, everybody feels that. Exactly. <laughs> everybody yeah, yeah. still feels that <laughs> by the way in case you're listening to this and you don't know we're playing the mystery beer game we got one of these these things uh one of my my students that trains with me gave me this box of 25 different beers and apparently it's a thing in singapore a lot of people knew what it was i'd never heard of this before but every beer or uh, every day of the month up until christmas is a new beer and he gave me a whole box of these so i got 25 like everyone's different craft beer and we decided for the podcast that it would be wise to just randomly grab one out of a bag. So, Kai Shong, you, you got the dirty side, man. You got a yeah. six, 6% six right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a 7%. Jake, you got the light <laughs> I, I, dude. I, yeah, I looked out this time. I only got a 5.5. Yeah. Well, let's, let's see who gets the 10%. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a 10% <laughs> hidden in there. And whoever's got that one is going to be in for a surprise. So, <laughs> so we'll see how sloppy this thing gets. So, uh, uh, Kai Shong, I want to go back to what we were talking about, about the uh, the combination of like confidence and doubt that you have when you fight mm-hmm. what was like and I, I told the story on the podcast enough times but i remember my first fight my first pro fight amateur was okay I, I felt a little safer you know what i mean but my first pro fight i got the like the fight or flight reaction oh, shit. right like i was literally like i need to jump out the fucking window i need to go to the bathroom jump out of this window change my name like never <laughs> never never <laughs> show my face again of course you go through the fight but i literally it was like i was like oh shit i gotta get the fuck out of here and then i just Took a few breaths, relaxed, and then you managed to get through it. What was your like most anxious or like most fear-inducing moment? Do you remember it? Mm, let me think. Uh, I would say actually, um, of course, uh, it's kind of ironic, but my my first and only loss during my amateur days. So I fought a uh, Benedict Ang. Oh yeah, uh, it was my. Th- third amateur fight, I think. He's way bigger than you. Yeah, too. he's way bigger. I had no business being in the weight class. I was like, I, I mean, he's like I, my weight. Yeah, right? Pretty, pretty much. 70 pretty much. plus kilos, mm-hmm. probably. I didn't cut any weight for that also. Yeah, but he I... Must, he must have. What weight yeah. did you fight at? Feather uh, or...? Feather, feather, oh. yeah. I'm sure I was like 66 the day off. I, I'm pretty sure he cut weight, but I mean, I don't know. I guess so. He looked a lot bigger during the fight as well. But uh, yeah, I remember being backstage and uh, I don't know, I was just like... Like... A lot of negative... Um, Emo- thoughts and processes like, I just kept focusing on like what could go wrong yeah. and like I, I could tell that like, I was like extremely nervous because I started like dry heaving and stuff oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember Major was there also and I was like I just said to him like hey man I'm really I'm, I'm like extra nervous and yeah I just played out how it, how it did but um how did it play out? Uh, I lost by decision oh, okay. yeah but uh yeah a lot of uh, my grappling wasn't as refined back then I think so just got taken down just controlled for all three rounds I guess yeah but that being said, it was kind of weird because uh, like I felt all that, but I still thought I did pretty okay. It's just he's just more experienced and more technical back then. But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, at least mm-hmm. you went through it. You didn't get hurt. You didn't get like fucked up or anything. Mm-hmm. That that's the worst case scenario. I mean, you know. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about fighting, you're hearing two professional fighters talking about literally wanting to jump out the window and the other one dry <laughs> heaving out of like fear before the fight. And that honestly is the way that it goes. You really have to control the emotions, hey? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, as you get more and more experience, you, you do get more confident. The doubt's still there, but the voice is not quite as loud. Mm-hmm. As you yeah. get more and more experience, you start to understand what it is, and you get in control of that anxiousness and that anxiety, especially when you're competing regularly. 
But when you take a big break, like like you mentioned yeah, earlier, yeah. then you come back, it's like, oh shit, here we go. This fucking feeling again. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I feel like the emotions never go away. It's just you get better at controlling it. Or like, you know what to focus on and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah you focus on what you can do, right? Because... <laughs> Mm-hmm. But it takes experience to get to that point, because mm-hmm. and you know even even the like the BJJ people, the wrestlers, they also feel it a little bit. It's definitely lesser because mm-hmm. you're not like the potential of you getting knocked unconscious mm-hmm. isn't there. Like accidents can still happen and you can get hurt and all that kind of stuff, but not to the same degree of like mm-hmm. eating a head kick or or, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I hate I hate to shit on other combat sports, but like unless you've done MMA, like you don't know what we're really talking about, like that anxiety, like it just. It, it's just two different leagues. Like, it's so different. It's so different. You can't yeah. even compare. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you do get a small dose of it with other combat, with grappling, you know, but it's like a, an order of magnitude lesser, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just yeah. the first time that you could potentially get knocked out. That shit is different. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, man, it makes you doubt. And then that creeps in. And then, like I say, you start to be able to uh, compartmentalize it and understand that fear and know what it is. But it is literally mm-hmm. like some gladiator shit. Right? I mean, yeah. luckily, yeah. we're not dealing with swords and all that kind of stuff, but the reality is, I mean, people die fighting every year. Mm-hmm. You always have stories. Always hear stories about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone actually just died in a fight, I think, within the last six uh, months or something. I was... Was it the oh, boxing? The boxer. Or, yeah, 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 the boxer. Yeah, yeah. Jake, can you, mm-hmm. can, can you find that boxer uh, dies mm-hmm. 2021 or 2022 or, or something like that? Mm-hmm. I mean, so this just goes to show you that you really can't mess around with this and sometimes you get like even me as a coach i get some guys doing like amateur boxing or amateur kickboxing or something like that and you know they're not training as much as i want them to and they're they sort of take it as a which is the thing in asia i see people like this you know have you ever been to like ultimate beatdown or or any of these smaller you fought did you fight it oh yeah i fought ube once before so you know what that is like right like some of these dudes they look like literally smoking a cigarette in the park like they look like they might take a shot of whiskey before they go in like they look they're coming straight (laughs) off the streets and just totally willing to go in there and fight and i'm like wow i mean they are massively underestimating the potential damage that can happen here like you know you and some of them do get knocked out and stuff and they're like oh it's just one time like yeah but you don't you can't quantify it like that. Yeah, but they're, they're yeah. the same people who are also fighting in a bar in a weekend without a medic in any rules. So. <laughs> Which I don't recommend that either. Right? Like that's that's not a good move either. Did you manage to find that, Jake? Um, depressingly, there are several, so let's not go into it. Okay. Oh, that sucks, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it is the reality of of what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, you really got to take it seriously, and you got to be well trained. And the most common thing that I see is people not training their defense properly. Mm. You know, it's like you see people hit the pads and you, it's, and you see people spar like they hit the pads, like they're just throwing. But you really have got to constantly be working on your checking and your defense and your head movement and your parries. And like all the defensive movements are just the most important because that is what keeps you safe. Mm. And then you look at somebody like, like Floyd Mayweather, like the best of all time. Dude mm. never got hit. Clear as a bell. Like that's really what you should mm. do. You should just practice mastering your defense. And uh, I've gone on ad nauseum about this, but did you did you take a look at the Lion City fights? Um, I, yeah, I watched a couple. Yeah, but so I asked I asked Major this, and he was kind of being a little PC on it, pissed me off a little bit. <laughs> he he, w- he wouldn't say anything about like what he saw that he would like to see people improve on it. And I thought it was like the the wrestling defense and the defense on the ground, people learning how to get up. You know, you see a lot of people like pulling guard and not wrestling up to their feet, but instead like content being content, fighting off their back. And did you go through that? What was the first martial art you did? Uh, I actually started with uh, everything. Oh, so like, you MMA yeah. from day one. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, so you kind of know what's mm-hmm. up, right? Mm-hmm. 
But there must have been a point where you realized that, like, for example, MMA grappling is so different than, like, oh. slap hands, fist bump, gi, jiu-jitsu. Oh, 100%. Like, from, yeah, from the start, really, like, you could, it's totally different when there's strikes involved. I feel like the pace is different, the control is different, the the, the fine motor skill and the way you move totally changes. Yeah, yeah. And then something mm-hmm. like, you know, like, being in the mount, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're in the mount in jiu-jitsu class, like, mm-hmm. and then you're in the mount in a fight, or you're being mounted in a fight... Whoa, that is a different animal yeah. when those motherfucking elbows can come down on you and the punches. Yeah. And you, you might have taught me how to go from uh, if, if from touching mount to single leg legs, it's single leg X. So then I'd let people mount me, which is fine in jujitsu, but yeah, in MMA seems a terrible idea. No, it's actually good to let people mount you in training because the most important thing is you learn how to get the fuck out of there. Mm-hmm. I say this all the time with jujitsu, and it's really, I mean, other sports are like this, but it's really one of those few sports where. Anytime you lose, you win. And what I mean by that is, you know, anytime you're in a jiu-jitsu class, you're doing your MMA, you're doing whatever, if somebody passes your guard, good. Guess what? You get to work your side control escape. Somebody mounts you, guess what? You got to get out of there. Someone takes your back, good. That is like the most important discipline is to learn how to escape. Even from, if you take uh, jiu-jitsu from its purest form, right, in like Valley Tudo, Mm self-defense, it's the most important thing is how do you get somebody like bigger and stronger, stronger than you off of you? If they're on top of you, man, that is so massively underrepresented in jiu-jitsu. I cannot understand for the life of me why they don't teach people how to stand up, you know, instead of just getting back to guard. Okay, well, like, you can get back to guard, you can hip escape, and you can close your guard, but then you're closing that guy on top of you. And because they're not worried about the threat of the strikes, but I don't understand why people don't teach you if somebody throws your legs to the side, Toriando or whatever, to pass to the side control, why at least... 10% of the time, you're not immediately going to turtle and work, fighting the hands and working your way up to your feet. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's like um, a problem with like specified rule sets, right? Like uh, because they want to play to the rules so much, they, they forget like the actual function of jujitsu, which is uh, at, at its core is kind of defending yourself. So it becomes like a whole sporting thing. People get comfortable where they, they shouldn't be in a sense. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. But you can't get these these guys to wrestle. This is <laughs> this is my problem. I make people wrestle in my jiu-jitsu class. They don't come back. <laughs> They're like, oh, I literally had a guy. It was maybe six months ago because he came to the MMA class. And at certain points in the MMA, we're working like this thing. At certain points, we're doing like jiu-jitsu with strikes. And then at certain points, we're wrestling. And he literally came up to me and he's like, so uh, are we going to be wrestling today? And I'm like, yep, he didn't stay. He just <laughs> oh, shit. And I was like, what? Come on, man. <laughs> This is a really important thing to learn. And, you know, we aren't killing each other. We're not, like, broing down and getting crazy. But it's just so important to learn how to stand up. Mm. And then that shit where you start your rolls always on your knees, I mean, just fucking kill me, <laughs> right? Man, at least I get it sometimes, right? The mat's busy. You know, you got a lot of people in the gym or something like that. Okay, of course, you, you start down. But, I mean, at least a... a certain percentage of the time, 20, 30% minimum, you need to be starting your matches on your feet. You gotta learn how to sprawl. You gotta learn how to defend a takedown, push people's heads into the mat, get up to your feet, all that kind of stuff. And of course, I know Major is, is like me, and he makes you guys do that, right? This is why all of you guys have sick wrestling. Yeah. I remember. I remember the time last time you came into train, you hit me with the single leg, right? Mm. And you ran the pipe on me so hard, and you ran the pipe way harder than any of my guys can <laughs> run the pipe on me. And I literally was like, I do this thing where I'm just like bouncing around on my feet with like zero threat, and you, you got me in the single leg, and I'm bouncing around, and you fucking put my ass on the ground. I was like, oh shit! <laughs> I actually, I have to really got to wrestle up from here because I'm not used to like the guys being able to do it, but Major. Mm. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast tons of times. He makes you guys, like, you scramble until you're up to your feet or until you're on top. Mm-hmm. And that's really important with uh, 
actual MMA training. And for you, you've been training MMA since the very beginning. So I feel like a lot of the people that you probably will fight, especially in Asia, until you get to a bigger show, will probably train all of the martial arts in isolation, mm -hmm. which gives you a, a massive advantage, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you feel... What do you feel the amount of is like the right amount of training to do as a whole, like MMA as a whole, and then in individual training, like single disciplines, like jujitsu, and then you go to your striking or your wrestling classes? Mm, that's a it's kind of a tough one to answer. Um, I think if your focus is MMA, like every day should, you should at least have one session that um that blends it all together. Because like you said, it's very different when it's compartmentalized. But uh, I think with the individual um martial arts that's more for like uh so i'll give you an example right so like if you're doing like nogi specifically nogi that would the function of that would be more as a like a training accessory to sharpen submissions for example because sometimes in mma scrambles with like mma grappling it's so difficult to to get that fine um that precise technique to to say finish a choke right because it's it's the pace is so much faster and then similar with um with like your stand-up, like if you're doing kickboxing, uh, sometimes it's good to, to do like just kickboxing alone, just to kind of, one is get comfortable uh, seeing punches and stuff like that, uh, and like really throwing with proper form technique, you know, so I feel like um, a little bit of each is good, but it shouldn't be your main focus to stick to one particularly. So at the end of the day, you have to remember how does it translate, uh, what, because if you do specific stuff, I feel like uh, you tend to develop bad habits, if you, uh, as in, yeah, with, like, specific, um, say, you do say isolation. Like, yeah, in isolation, yeah, mm -hmm. you tend to get bad habits if you, like, do it over time, uh, when you add in, like, other variables in MMA. Yeah, know? I feel like, and another one that's, that's really common is people, especially, like, when they're only doing nogi, you know, the thing with nogi is, like, you play top or bottom, right? Mm -hmm. But it's so much harder to hold people down mm -hmm. when they're trying to stand up than if they're trying to sweep you. Like, you know, like in jiu-jitsu, like one person takes the top position, one person play, takes the bottom position, and pretty much the sole goal of the person on bottom is to either submit you or to sweep you. Mm -hmm. But the reality is if the, whole, if the person's only objective is to stand up, like they're not just chilling on their back. It's so much harder to actually keep them there, right? And this is another big hurdle that like young MMA fighters have to do is like actually making sure that they keep you on the ground because so often you know if, if you get a good guy they post on the hips they push the head technical stand up turn fight the hands get up to their feet it's actually really hard to hold people down and that is completely lost in like modern sport jiu-jitsu where the whole objective is to try to sweep somebody and then it's even dumber still in like uh in gi jiu-jitsu where it only counts for points if you sweep from the guard mm -hmm. i mean that mm -hmm. shit is so pointless at least in adcc like top to bottom is a is still a sweep Right, it's a reversal they call it, but you know if you're listening to this podcast and you you don't understand the difference, in like let's say we're doing IBJJF rules, if I want to sweep somebody, I have to have the guard, right? It's it's part of the it's part of the thing. So if I try to, okay, that's fine. So uh, I have to use my legs to sweep you. So for example, if I'm in the bottom side control and I bridge you over, that doesn't count for any points, even though it's complete. Shift yeah. of top to bottom. Like you get the av the advantageous position. Right? I mean, it's which massive, is... right? It's literally yeah. bottom side control, which mm -hmm. is a terrible position. To top side control, you score no points from that because it doesn't come from the guard. Do I need to touch this again? Yeah. Okay. Are we good? Just double. Okay, we're good. Okay. Is it not? Oh, do I need to push record again? Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Oh, there it is. Maybe. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, okay. Hey. Okay. We got yeah. it back. We got it back. Yeah. 
So yeah, and you know, uh, actually, Major talks to me about this because he's <laughs> putting it lightly. He's getting older, <laughs> right? And he tells me all the time. He's like, oh, I just he tries to, you know, he's going with the young guys like you and just holding you guys down. Because when your whole objective is to get up to your feet, it's damn hard to hold these young guys and just actually keep them in place if they're not just like trying to work their jujitsu from the bottom. Like, what do you? How much do you prioritize like wrestling up from the bottom, standing up, or like sweeping from the bottom? Like, what's the ratio in an ideal world? If somebody takes you down, how much time are you spending trying to sweep them? How much time are you spending trying to get back up to your feet? Mm, are, are we talking like in nogi or are we talking like in MMA? MMA. Uh, MMA. Um, yeah, that's um, actually I'd say hundred percent. Like that's my top priority right there. Yeah. Get like, up or sweep. Yeah. Uh, get up. Get up. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. so much, it's a lot easier to get up than to sweep somebody, especially if they're much heavier. Like uh, my training partners now, they always bitch. They always bitch about uh, me getting up because once they get me down, like I'm never trying. I'm never trying to stay there for more than three seconds. Uh, uh I, I like um what my old coach uh, Emilio used to say to me because he he was talking about like when somebody takes you down in MMA, right? Uh, he always says like, "Hey, you gotta be like a dog that's held down." You know what a dog does when it's held down? It spazzes the fuck out. Right? <laughs> like you, you can't just settle. In other words, like you can't just settle there. You gotta get the fuck up. Yeah, it's true because, <laughs> and again, especially like the moment you're taken down, there's a, a period of time when they don't actually have control of you yet, yeah. and that is where the window of opportunity mm-hmm. comes. Once you like close your guard, or they settle on top of you, or they half guard, they get chest to chest. At that point, you're done. It's so much harder to actually get up to your feet once the scramble has stopped and they've established some form of control, right? Mm -hmm. But in the moment, like, bodies are falling, like, I'm trying to double leg you, your butt's hitting, and I'm trying to do whatever. In that moment, potential for escape exists. Mm -hmm. But as soon as, like, control is seized, it's just completely gone. Yeah, I know what I mean. Like, that that one moment is, like, the hardest. It's, like, pretty much almost who wants it more because I feel like it's just as hard for both guys. One to get up, one to to keep Establish control. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. you're totally right. Mm -hmm. That's that moment when Mm -hmm. you got to fight the hardest Mm -hmm. because once they settle on top of you, now it's so much harder. Then you got to like maybe turn your back, right? That might be your only option. Like in the scramble, Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of different safer ways you can get up because they haven't established control. But Mm -hmm. like let's say that they actually manage to get on top of you and, and establish control. Well, then, you know, if they pass to the side and they get chest on chest and hug your neck, Ooh, that's, or they mount you and they force you to turn the back because you know how it is. As soon as somebody mounts you and you see that oh, hand yeah. go up, you're like, oh, shit. You, turn, you have to turn your back, right? Otherwise, you're just getting elbowed in the eye socket. <laughs> yeah, that's not fun. That is yeah. not fun. And that's why people turn the back. Like the mount in mm-hmm. MMA is just a motherfucker. Yeah. That is brutal, man. Like especially when you can't escape. You know what it's like to be mounted and you just, you're not moving. That guy can just take their time and do what they want. And then if they can start to punch you, like we have uh, a black belt at Stronghold, who's one of the owners, Sean. He's got one of these fat fucking mounts. Like he, he feels like he weighs 100 kilos. I let him mount me one time like six years ago as a brown belt, and I was like, never again. Because <laughs> normally I can still escape mounts, right? But this guy, he's just got hips that are like, doesn't even make sense how heavy he can be. He, his hips yeah. are made out of concrete or something. It doesn't even make That's sense, the only right? explanation. He's like, like 80 kilos. He's not that much bigger than me, maybe like five kilos or something. But he knows exactly how to distribute his weight and like you bridge and he rides you and adjust to the way that you're trying to escape and it's just like, oh no, if this dude could throw punches right now, this would be bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, ter- bad it's terrible when somebody knows how to distribute their weight like like a like a Shinya. Oh, oh yeah. Shinya's so heavy on top. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. We're talking yeah. about Shinya for Synergy? Shinya? Uh, yeah, Shinya, Shinya. Shinya. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Major mm-hmm. talks about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he was actually the first guy I ever competed against in Singapore. Oh. Like oh. eight eight years ago Damn. or something like that. There's an old video of my in my Facebook of us competing together in the Gi, like 2013 or something like that. It was my first yeah. ever competition in Singapore. That's how long 
was, yeah, yeah, she like nine years ago maybe or something like that. Back when we were both purple belts. That's how old me and that dude go back. Actually, Major too. I never competed with Major in a competition or anything, but I remember him seeing like we all went through purple, brown, black, all the same time. That guy's an OG. I'm actually going to see him tomorrow because tomorrow's the the little competition we got between the three schools. It's going to be fun. Yeah. We're just going to get drunk and full. Of- I'm supposed. To, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm supposed. Fun, to- fun for you, not fun for all your students competing. <laughs> but never mind. After it will be fun. Yeah, yeah. After they'll enjoy it because you know we'll just have some drinks, have some rolls. You know what I mean? Afterward, it'll be fun. But, uh, you know, you got the OGs in Singapore, the guys that have been around for a long time. He's been around for ages. And uh, I'm actually supposed to referee a match tomorrow. I don't even know the rules. <laughs> I- I've refed ADCC rules before, but it's been since, like, a year or two before the pandemic. So maybe, like, three or four years since I've refed the rules. And, like, it's changed a lot. And I'm, and I'm just going to – anytime I'm, something happens, I'm going to look at Shinya and be like, what do I do? Because <laughs> he's, like, the – the longest yeah. tenured ref in Singapore, I think. Mm-hmm. He's probably refed a bunch of your matches, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How many uh, jiu-jitsu matches do you reckon you've done? Hmm. Actually, I feel like I've done less than the average uh, jiu-jitsu guy. I think somewhere between 10 to 15 at most. What about uh, uh, MMA fights, including the amateurs? Uh, MMA? So I'm 3 know is a pro and 7-1 is an amateur, so that makes... 11. Oh, that's yeah, nice. 11 movie fights, yeah. You're starting to get some, mm-hmm. you're starting to get a little fucking experience in you, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what's the next step after the, after the, the fight that you had a couple of weeks ago? Hmm. Like, obviously, take some time now, like heal up, you need to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, well, what's after that? The, over the horizon, I guess the next possible thing was probably the next Lion City. Um, Elvin was telling me it might be in March or something, so hopefully, uh, if, uh, if things open up a little bit better, maybe we can fly some opponents in. That might be cool. Yeah, that'd yeah. be nice. Bring somebody mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Malaysia or Thailand or Philippines. Yeah. I remember what the mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu competition in Singapore used to look like in oh, the MMA fight. Those it was so days. nice. Yeah, so people nice. would come in. They were awesome. Mm-hmm. You get to meet all these people. People from Tiger Muay Thai would come in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just so much nicer. Now it's just... Yeah. Well, I mean, it's still nice that the scene is able to produce local people. Like They had mm-hmm. nine fights. I didn't think Alvin would ever be able to get nine people to no. commit mm-hmm. to a fight within Singapore, right? But mm-hmm. they, they managed to do it. I think he said March would be the mm-hmm. next one, right? Yeah, looking forward to that. And then, yeah. what, so I know you mentioned after the Singapore Grappling Invitational that your end goal is the UFC. Mm-hmm. So what do you think you'd have to do to get there? Like 10-0 maybe, something in that neighborhood? Yeah, roughly around that range. But I think it's a tricky um, balance, right, between having a good record and making yourself known. Mm-hmm. So I suppose uh, the other end of it would be to get a bigger presence on social media since that's like the newest way to get anywhere these days, you know. Yeah. How many fights did Royston have when he when he got signed to the UFC? Can you pull up Royston Wee on um, on the thing? Let's take a look. I think he was like two or three and all. That's it. Know. Was yeah. it that little? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, the thing is, the UFC is trying to get a bigger presence in Asia, like mm-hmm. they do, and they come to Singapore. They, mm-hmm. I mean, I went to see Ben Askren and Damian Maya, right? Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that. Damian Maya mm-hmm. came and trained at my gym in the worst sick. kickboxing match ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> until until Damian Maya choked him. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Jake, Jake's daughter took a picture with Damian Maya. It was like such a cute moment because Dam- Damian Maya came in. I didn't want to tell a bunch of people because he was like, you know, don't make a big deal out of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I told Jake and then he came in and he brought his daughter and she was just like, like she looked terrified of the dude. <laughs> and they took a picture together. Yeah, I, I, awesome. can't, I can't say enough. The nicest guy ever. She was getting ready for a jiu- her first ever jiu-jitsu tournament and Damian Maya's giving her like, advice to a four-year-old. Yeah. And we were like, so, you know, how do you deal with your kids? He's like, oh, my kids don't like, they don't do jiu-jitsu, they don't, they don't know. And I'm like, really? You don't just make your kids go in and do it? But my point is, is that they do shows in Singapore quite regularly. I mean, as regularly but, as, what was that? 
I think Glasgow. Like, you know, huh? We're still pretty bright though, actually. Like, oh yeah, because the other one is, is doing the work. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, did you find that? Royston Wee? I'm trying to find though when he... Oh, here we go. So he had, t- he had two pro fights, then... I'm sorry, two pro fights, and then he went to the UFC. According to uh, Wikipedia, I'll bring it up. Oh, damn. That's really little. Oh, I can't zoom on this thing. Um, but Was it like regional shows or? Yeah, what, what uh, was two, it? Malaysian Fighting Championship 2, Malaysian Fighting Championship 3. They got him down as wins and then to the UFC. And then he won one and he lost one in the UFC. Can you, can you tell me quickly who he beat and who he lost to? Uh, so he beat Dave... Uh, Galala, Yao, Zuki. Guy guy, if I'm not wrong. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then lost to uh, Ning Guan Yu. I apologize to all <laughs> those people. I apologize to the, all of the countries that I offended yeah. in the <laughs> Yeah, it's more or less right. I mean, that's that's got to be as few fights to get signed to the UFC as I've ever seen. I mean, who gets signed to the UFC after three fights? Have you ever seen one? But I guess back then, like the... What year was that? Uh, it was different. 2014, okay, his first UFC fight. Might have been their, like their first trip into Asia, like Singapore at least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think he won like the uh, Ultimate Fighter trial or something. Like oh, that, is if it? If I'm not wrong, oh, yeah, okay. something like that. Yeah. Is that what Gary did? Gary did something as well. Gary Tang. Gary Gary got a what do you call it? A scholarship to train at the PI. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. in Shanghai back uh, then. And mm-hmm. he he went. Yeah, he went. He went. Okay. Yeah, he made a whole vlog about it. It's pretty cool. Oh, I should watch it. Yeah, I, I he's telling me that. some of the like the experiences. It's, it's really I gotta get videos. Gary on too. Gary's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like yeah that Gary's dude. awesome. <laughs> I remember when I uh, so in two thousand like two two years ago, right it, right before the pandemic began, my mom had passed away, and so of course I wanted to go and fly back and, and see her and everything. And Gary was a fucking legend. Actually, I talked to Leke, and Leke was uh, my business partner. Contacted Leke and was like, "Hey, man, like." Luke's got a balance. Can we figure out a group of guys to come in and cover the classes? And, and Gary was one of them. Mm-hmm. That dude's awesome. I got to get him on the, the podcast as well. But so anyway, moving back. I think, dude, I think after like 10 fights, because they are trying to build the, the scene in Asia. I mean, they know that Asia's got deep pockets. And if you're coming to Asia, Singapore, if you're in Southeast Asia, Singapore, Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty much, if you're in this region at all, that's going to be where you're going to go. Obviously, China, mm-hmm. they've managed to open up a little bit with like Zhang Weili and, and stuff like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. so what, how old are you now? I'm 24 this year. Okay, so you mm-hmm. can, just a couple of years probably. Everything goes well, you keep training, mm-hmm. you'd be there. Yeah, that's what, the goal. What weight would you compete at? Uh, flyweight probably. Yeah, but that'll be a terrible. It'll suck to cut that much weight. But Which I weight mean, now? I'm like 67, 68 probably. And After what's, today what's, probably. What's flyweight in kilos? Uh, 56.7. So you have to lose 10 kilos? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> that one's pretty. Oh. <laughs> Although that's actually probably pretty standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Yeah, I've heard some of those flyweights get up. They're big, man. Like I heard, I read somewhere that Figueredo probably walks like seventy three. Oh my god, that's my weight. Yeah, yeah that's ridiculous. That's my weight. Davis mm-hmm. Figueredo weighs what I weigh. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's got a smaller frame than me. He's mm-hmm. like a little dude, right? Isn't he's he probably like, like five small, five or something like, like that. Jacked. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's shredded. Yeah, he's shredded. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like to make featherweight, I cut twelve kilos. But, mm-hmm. dude, come on, man, that's fucking crazy. I'm but sure. the problem is when you're lighter, it's it's more of a percentage yeah, a bit, of your body weight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever tried before? What's uh, the lowest you've, I, you fought? I, I, made, I made flyweight once. Oh, you did? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, how, yeah. how long ago? You uh, probably put on <laughs> yeah. some muscle and stuff. Like, in the... I'm telling you this, if it was when you were 18, it doesn't <laughs> count. Uh, I was, um, it was like 2018, so I was, I think 21 maybe. 
Yeah, yeah. But but like before that, I had like a whole string of fights. So that was it was a really busy year. So like that was my third fight of the year in and it was in like August. It's funny because I always thought I couldn't make flyweight. Then major being major is like, hey, I got you a fight. Uh, yeah, it's at flyweight. <laughs> like he already accepted it. <laughs> He probably yeah. knows that that's yeah, where yeah. he should be. Mm-hmm. He probably knew I could make it. I was there and I was just being a bitch. But yeah, true enough. Like I managed to make it. Stop being a bitch, dude. Like, cutting weight sucks. <laughs> yeah, man. Weight sucks. Man. It's it's the worst. Yeah, I was so miserable for that for that cut. Yeah, but I mean, all things considered, it went pretty well. I got a knockout for that one. I think that's my like one and only like clean KO. So what was it? As in uh, what was the, the knockout? Oh, a uh, left cross. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, nice. But... Stiffed him like mm-hmm. straight yeah, back. Yeah, he, yeah he is it online? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's at UB, I think. Can you, is it mm-hmm. possible? Can you send it to Jake or can Jake search it? Uh, I think, yeah. Just, I on think YouTube? Can, yeah, if you can search my name on YouTube, I think it'll come up. Let's take a look at that. That should be nice and saucy. Mm-hmm. That was also like probably the fight that I felt the most relaxed. Well, so, why do you so, think that is? Um, like you said, I think I just had a, like a whole bunch of competitions that year. And I was super hungry um, that year particularly because I just finished two years of NS. So two years, I just got fat. Um, didn't train... <laughs> barely train any martial arts so it was just and I was looking at all my training partners just getting by like moving up and I was just mm. so salty <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, know? you get bitter right yeah. those guys who used to fuck up all of a sudden after a while they're starting to challenge you and you're yeah, like oh man, it's so yeah like the white belt that uh, there was this one guy like he, he was a white you belt you remember you remember exactly this yeah, person like, it stuck uh, with him so much yeah, you remember exactly well, I was so pissed because it was this white belt he wasn't really athletic he was kind of goofy but had some <laughs> tricks here and there but uh, yeah when I came back he subbed me like three times in a round and I was just like fuck like, motherfucker you're yeah. sitting in bed can't sleep you're thinking about this shit <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking uh, about yeah, dude pretty much yeah uh, but, sorry Kaishong which one is it uh, it's that ultimate beatdown can you you can throw it on the main screen so you can see I think Jake and then you can tell it. you the thumbnail here uh, let me see yeah can you see the thumbnails is it one of those uh, scroll down I think yeah the fourth one before oh, below one? yeah that one all right, let's take a look at this. Oh, shit. How long is it? One minute. Oh, let's watch the whole thing. Oh, oh I can get a beat. Ho- hopefully the video works this week as well. Mm. Oh, yeah, hopefully. And the sound as well? Yeah, yeah, the sound. Okay, okay, excellent. Okay, let's take a look at this. So I, was, I felt like, the thing I realized from that fight, also Major was telling me like, like knockouts don't come from like, like swing, like full power. I feel like you have to be nice, uh, relaxed. Huh? So it's like a High whip. kick. Yeah. Wait, which one are you? Are you the? Uh, the taller one. Okay. This was how many years ago? Uh, three years, three years. Okay, oh, you got yeah. a nice hook there too. And you fight from both stances, which I enjoy. Yeah, I, I started as a southpaw, actually. Are you left-handed? Uh, yeah, left-handed. Oh, but you, you also do orthodox. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I tried to mix it up, because I feel like, yeah, you, you have to. You got a nice switch cross, dude. I love, I love the switch cross. It's like my favorite low-key punch that people don't throw enough, especially if you've got a good switch kick or a good southpaw kick. You gotta mix that switch cross in there. Oh! Oh, that was it. Go back and do that again. Let's get our replay. Yeah, yeah. So if you're listening to this, you should you should check this out. We're, we're breaking down the video of, of Kai Shang's knockout. Was that a left cross or a right cross? Yeah, left cross, left cross. Oh, yeah, from the south. So you're in the open stance, too. Let's see this. Oh, oh he caught him trying to wing a, a big hook. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's not having a good day. And you're like, what do I do? What do I do? I fucking do I follow him up? It's it's so... I like I didn't expect that would be how a knockout feels, you know. I was like, Doof. And then like I remember what I was going through. I was like, is, it, is this really over? <laughs> and then like then I'm like yeah, I got happy for a bit. And like yeah, I won, I won. And, oh fuck, I hope he's okay. And then I turned yeah, around, yeah. Like, like if you watch like the that. video, it's like oh fuck, I started panicking. Like oh shit, I hope he's okay. No, that's a good that's a good <laughs> mentality to have about it. The thing with the with the knockout punches is you don't feel them in the same way, right? Mm-hmm. You go through, you mm-hmm. go straight through. It's almost like you don't even touch. 
Yeah, it feels like like I've thrown harder punches in training, but it's just I don't know. It's just good. It's the, the timing, the timing, and the spot, and mm-hmm. the, the the accuracy of the location, the precision. Right, that mm-hmm. that really is it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tell people all the time, like with kicks, with punches, with everything, it's way more important, like timing and precision. You especially like as a flyweight, like the one punch knockout power where you're like forcing it, that shit will never work. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times with the smaller guys, it's volume. Mm-hmm. But if you land the right one, whoo. Then you start to get that power, but everybody can can knock someone out with the high kicks, right? That's always yeah, that's the true. first thing that I try to get my young fighters to do. By the way, I got a Sapporo in the mystery <laughs> mystery box, so this is pretty good. I'm losing or winning, I don't know at this I, point. I feel like it's winning because my, my 7% that I just had, I'm starting to feel it pretty well. So I needed something a little more tame. But... Uh, yeah, you know how it's like with the and your your person's got really good hip dexterity. You can go to my Instagram if you want, Jake, and you can see the picture of Kai Chong trying to head kick me that day. <laughs> Pretty sure this is the first day I met you, <laughs> or like within the first literally twenty minutes of meeting. You. And I I appreciate that about you. If I want meet somebody, I want them to try to throw a head kick at me immediately. It, it makes me feel good. And uh, you, you know you got that like TJ Dillashaw style head kick where you you you, you throw something and you dip down and it flies up over the shoulder. I'm glad my hand was up because yeah. otherwise that could have been bad news. <laughs> yeah, TJ's actually one of my favorite fighters. Yeah, I can like, tell you try to like adopt his style. <laughs> so what is it like? What are some techniques of his that you use, or what is it about his style that appeals to you? Mm, I think it's as a whole like uh, one is it's so dynamic, like so oh, hard yeah, to throw, see. Throw that up there real quick, mm-hmm. Jake. Yeah, I mean this is a very much, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> you, you can just see. <laughs> I'm trying. Should I go forward or should I go backward? That shit is aimed right for my dome. Uh, I appreciate that, dude. <laughs> to be oh. fair, I was like, I wasn't going full power. No, no, no. <laughs> it, it was still, it was still controlled. Of course, we're not wearing shin pads, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're wearing. Are we wearing small gloves? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, MMA gloves. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's up, dude. No, we're having a good time. No, you got good control, dude. I'm just, I'm just busting your balls. Even if you landed that on me, it would have been all good. Um, but anyway, so you're saying. Uh, yeah, I just like, like how dynamic it is and it's, um, yeah, like it's, I feel like it's a complete, um, system in a sense, like so many feints, so many, so much switching and, and like, he's not just trying to pitter better shots, no, when he comes, when he comes at you, he's really trying to take your head off with, uh, with all the different strikes and shit like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually what I, uh, what gets me about him is actually not just the technique, but it's just his energy, you know, the way he approaches fights. He's always like, yeah, let's go. And it's so hype and it's so like, Ugh. So did you um do you use any of the like the bang system like have you subscribed to him do you see do you know like his setups and because he's got the online academy right oh yeah yeah I think uh, you check ma- that out? Ma- major goes through some of that like he's uh, put a lot of stuff that together and I think he just kind of tailors it in his own way he's also uh-huh. got that kind of style he likes mm-hmm. to throw a lot of the the TJ Dillish I could see it in his movement mm-hmm. I mean, major and I've been sparring together for mm-hmm. almost ten years or something like that like that dude mm-hmm. there's some pictures of us from like 2014 or 13 or something like that sparring um. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, with, uh, I, I'm not trying to take this down a weird road, but how did you feel when he popped for EPO? Not good, right? Yeah, it's not, it's yeah, not a good I mean, look. It was like, it's like, come on, bro. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, I feel like, mm-hmm. felt like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sucks because I think at that point in time, he was like really like on the way to like bantamweight goat status at least. And then he got popped and then just disappeared for, I mean, he had no choice. I mean, he got suspended and all that, but Shit, man. Even coming back, he looked pretty good. He looked really good yeah, against, right? against uh, 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 Sandhagen. Sandhagen. Yeah. That fucking fight was yeah, crazy. That's that one of the best awesome. fights of the year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm a fan of Dominic Cruz. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, they had that razor, razor close yeah. fight. That was one of the best mm-hmm. bantamweight fights of all time. Like, literally no one won that. Nobody mm-hmm. lost that fight. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he's kind of... Dominic's got a rough go, hey. I think he's still my bantamweight goat. But if TJ wins again, he'll be a three-time champ. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even though Cruz beat him, you might have to give it to... 
TJ Dillashaw, but man, I want to see that TJ Dillashaw Jose Aldo fight. Ooh. Bad. I'm getting an erection just talking about it, man. I want to see it so bad. But that, I feel like oh, it's we a, lost it both. Oh. That's good. Your camera looks pretty good still. Yeah. Okay, not bad. Yeah. But I feel like stylistically, it's a bad matchup for Aldo, because Aldo's kind of like Hannah Burrell in that sense. It's like big, explosive, but uh, bites on a lot of feints. Like, and I feel like the the. And he's the best fainter in the UFC, I think. Yeah, Him and exactly. Adesanya, mm-hmm. Dillashaw and Adesanya, they're the best fainters. Mm-hmm. I actually think yeah. when uh, Adesanya fought Blahovich, he fainted too. You know, because the point of a faint is to like get the reaction and then capitalize on it. Mm-hmm. And you watch some of his early rounds, he was just like 80% of it was, was fainting, and then he would get the reaction, Blahovich would bite on it, mm-hmm. but he couldn't punish him for the reaction, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part with the, the faints is actually like diagnosing the the tell, like getting them to bite on it and then punishing them. And it's really hard to do, right? Fainting is one of the low-key, most underrepresented skills that you have to learn. Like when I do my shadow boxing, it's like 80% faints because that's when you really need to do it. Because you know how like if somebody has a, a bad faint, you don't get full range of motion, yeah. right? Because with a faint, you want it to look exactly like the yeah. strike. Yeah, and sometimes be- when people fake, it's too quick. You, mm-hmm. It doesn't look like a real feint. And it's really hard to disguise a feint exactly like the strike that you're trying to throw mm-hmm. so that people can't distinguish the difference to it. Yeah. And when I, when I spar with you, and that's always my immediate sign of like somebody who's an experienced striker is actively seeing them feint. Mm-hmm. And every time I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what's up. That's, <laughs> seriously, that's my first cue that I know. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this guy, because he's trying to trick me. Mm-hmm. And once someone's trying to trick me, I'm like, okay, now mm-hmm. we're playing a real game. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you go with the beginners and stuff, they just throw stuff. They're just throwing it. Yeah. They're not setting it up, and they're not, they're not uh, getting reactions and, and making reads. And that's really when you start to go to the higher level of, of, of striking, I think. Mm-hmm. What, what are your favorites? Do you have any favorite setups and, and feints that you do? Uh, like you were saying, I like to fake to the body and come up with a high kick. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that always catches people off guard. Yeah. And when, and when that lands, I had it, I think I had it land clean once in a fight, but I don't think it's online. And the guy just like, phew, he dropped. So what, what, was, cool. the, what was the, the fate, do you remember? Because uh, I was primarily southpaw back then, so I threw a left cross to the body and I came up with the hit kick. At yeah, the same, same side, right? Yeah, then, yeah that one's good. Yeah. I love, that's my favorite feint too, yeah, if I'm yeah. trying to set up the high kick. Because mm-hmm. especially when you throw it on the same side, people always think it's going to be left, right, left, right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if like you throw that rear straight to the body and then the that's head the kick one. comes right, oh, yeah. yeah. So that's good. a classic TJ Dillashaw as well. Yeah, exactly. He does that to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man, mm-hmm. that's what's up. Mm-hmm. But actually, I'm just glad Major, like, uh, he should, because I've been with him more or less since day one. So, like, halfway through, he started showing me all this new footwork, fainting, stuff like that. And I just, uh, it's been a couple of years, but like, I made it, uh, like, uh, I took that time to, like, kind of ad- adopt it to my own style and stuff. So, it's been, like, really, really smooth for me. Yeah, you really have to do that. And that's why it's like, I can't just stress enough how important it is to. Oh, there's nothing in there, though. That's okay. Well, you're about to go into the mystery box again. I see that you're almost finished with your beer. That 10% is, I don't know how many is left. It might, it might be on you, bro. It might be on you next. And I mean, that's that's a massive benefit to staying with the same coach. I mean, of course, if, if you like, at a certain point, you feel like you're not vibing with your coach or whatever, then you change mm-hmm. to a new one, right? Mm-hmm. But there's something to be said for having somebody really, especially if they're, you, you want to be an MMA coach or an MMA fighter. And I see it all the time, like, you know, especially like Evolve and not to shit on Evolve because I trained at Evolve. The coaches mm-hmm. there are great. Like, I have no issue with, with them, right? The facilities are amazing. The coaches are good. But they all have that compartmentalized, compartmentalized style training where, like, the Thais teach you Muay Thai, the Brazilians teach you Jiu-Jitsu, and then you go and maybe there's an MMA coach who, kind of tries to put it together, but you're not in charge of the day-to-day stuff that they do when they're not with you. And realistically, you want to create a whole system from somebody who knows 
the whole in and out rather than like, I can't control what another coach is teaching you. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe if they're better in some areas, then you still want to have some of that, but you need the one guy, the mastermind putting the whole thing together and you can have these other coaches and still go to them and do the thing. Mm-hmm. But especially if you've got an experienced guy who really knows what they're doing, God damn, that's so valuable, especially for MMA because you know, like I can, I can, there's definitely better gi coaches than me. There's just no question. Like, there's better – like, if you bring a Thai into Singapore, like, there's no question they're a better, like, Muay Thai coach than me. But if you want to put it all together, there's only a few people in Singapore that you can go to who've yeah. really done, like, MMA training. Major, of course, being one of them, and me too, because I've done MMA since the beginning. I always did, like you, I did everything from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So if you go to those specialist routes, there's definitely better people than me. Mm-hmm. But the Brazilian who's never taken off the gi – doesn't know how to combine the striking and the grappling and the tie fighter who's never done jiu-jitsu doesn't know and then if they if they both pull guard and they don't wrestle then they also that's a whole other element and then combining it all that's a whole different animal so if you want to go like really train and learn mma you should go to an mma specialist Mm -hmm. and how many are there there's like maybe four four mma specialist coaches in singapore major me, Cassiano, this guy from Tricolor. Oh, yeah, I've trained with him. Yeah, he's, he's another really guy who yeah, yeah, yeah. I like him a lot. I just met him actually when uh, we we did the fights. That was the first oh, time I ever yeah, met him, okay. mm-hmm. and I got to chatting with him, and he was telling me all these stories. And he's he's not like a pure gi guy, and I'm like, wait, you're Brazilian, and you're not only a pure gi? <laughs> just like blew my mind for a minute. And he's like, oh no, I'm mostly MMA, and he does this and this. And I'm like, dude. And he also was really cool with his students training in other places. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> you're a Brazilian yeah. who doesn't I, specialize can I, can in say, the gi can I say that passport yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and you don't mind if your students go like it's not going to be a turf war if your students go somewhere else my dude this is my guy and on top of that he has that Guinness World Record for the burpees like, yeah man fuck he did like fucking what, what 5 million in an hour or something can you, can you find out what that was fuck. Jake you might I don't know uh, Cassiano I think I'm, I'm friends with them on uh, Instagram so if you if I don't know if my Instagram is logged in on there this might be a tough tough sell for you to find but he did some. You know how many hours it was? It was crazy. He I did think it was like, one hour. He, how many? One hour. Oh, like he did the most in one hour. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. He told me he trained for that for like months and months and months. So this guy, he's a Brazilian guy uh, in Singapore. He's a coach at, at Tricolor. I, uh, mm-hmm. I think I've actually got it. Oh, I, you found it. I could be wrong, but I think he's looking to beat that record again. Beat his for, own record, or yeah, for his for that. The so I, hang on, here oh, we go. the chairman of Asia, pick it up. Um. So, Cassiano Rodriguez did 951 burpees in an hour Jesus. to raise funds for his what? niece. Man, 10 burpees are tiring, let alone fucking <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I can maybe do one. <laughs> so, who's the best math skills? How many is that per minute? Lots. Divide yeah, by 60. Um, I'm not. There's a reason yeah. why. I'm <laughs> we, we have a phone. What, what, what can we do here? I'm not going to embarrass myself. I would say like 15, 16. Per minute for an hour. Yeah. Wow, so what's the total, Jake? Uh, nine five one. Fifteen point eight five oh, per minute, every minute for an hour. No. Yeah, I mean fifteen, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've exceeded my max limit. So yeah, that dude's a beast. I got to make sure I tag him in the podcast because I want to have a beer with this dude. I like him a lot, and he's actually pretty close to us. He's he's in a like beauty. Oh, sorry. Um, cashew cashew area yeah, cashew. yeah, I think he's one of the closest gyms to, to Stronghold really nice guy I got a few students that go up there had to do some open mass and stuff like that 
I really enjoyed talking to him too because he's a guy that does uh, everything as well. He teaches the striking, the grappling, the jiu-jitsu, and the kids. He taught the kids for a while, and he, we, we were telling stories about both of us like sleeping in the gym when we opened up our gym. And a guy that really puts the work in, right? He really fucking made it happen. And he was telling me all these crazy stories because he moved here during COVID. Yeah, and then tried to open up a gym during COVID. Which I can relate to, having opened up a gym like three months before COVID. <laughs> so the struggle is real. Cassiano, he's the one I got to get on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed talking to that dude. Um, yeah, dude, that's fucking crazy. So my point is, is that there's only a few actual real MMA coaches in Singapore. How long have you been coaching? What do you, what's your What's your feel on on coaching? Does it stimulate uh, you in the same way that training does, or is it like mm. like would you see yourself being more of like the fighter or more of like the coach? Uh, right now, I would say fighter, but I don't know, man. Like, uh, I haven't actually coached full on somebody to like prepare for an actual competition, but I can't imagine the the stress of somebody putting that trust in you. You know, it's almost more yeah. stressful than fighting sometimes. Mm, yeah, I can because you really worry about your people, man. Like, you, especially mm-hmm. when you've been with them for a while. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost the same. Almost the same. Like, mm-hmm. Charmaine's talked to me a few times about having an MMA fighter. She has, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I'm quite certain I would rather risk myself. Yeah, than her going. Yeah, yeah. Especially if something bad were to happen. And then, you know, if I'm the coach, you know, if I feel like a loss on her is like my fault. <laughs> Even though it's just the reality of the thing that you're doing, right? But, so I'm sure when you fight, how long did you, uh, how young were you when you met Major? I was probably like 16, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah. fuck. I mean, yeah, dude, you're basically yes. a kid. Uh, actually, like, uh, if you go see my Instagram, wow, uh, uh, after this fight, we took a photo and it just hit me right in, hit me right in the field, man, because uh, I did like a side-by-side. So there's one... Is it uh, on your Instagram? Yeah, Can yeah. Can you pull that up, Jake? Mm-hmm. So like, like the one that we just took this year uh, I did for this fight, and then the exact same pose like six years ago. Oh, for, like, my shit. Third yeah, or fourth. Let, let's take yeah a that second that. one with me and Major right there. Okay, so that's you at, at at the most recent fight. Yeah. Let's see how much weight Major put on. You click next, oh, right? Man. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, yeah zoom in there. Like, yeah, like fucking, I think this is like my third or fourth amateur fight. So how old were you here? I was, um, I think 17 or 18 probably. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Put it on the main screen, uh, Jake, one more time, if you don't mind. Give me a, a back and forth here. So there's, there's young Major. Oh, wait. And there's nope. Major now. <laughs> okay, he definitely put on some weight. Hey, listen, we get old. You know what I mean? We get old. Oh, Mystery oh, Beer, what did, what did you get? 4.7. Oh, oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Wait, draw, draw, draw one, one, one more? Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, just pass it oh, Okay. Sorry, you can be in charge of his Mystery Beer. Gotcha, <laughs> like seven. Oh, what do you got there? Oh, so what do you got it's, there? It's the last one, by the way, so it has to be the 10. Is it? I'm already worried because it's called Florida, man. Oh, oh, oh. oh that's not good. That's how you know it's fucked up. What is that one? What do you got there, Jake? 8.5. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. That's okay. You took the easy road for the first one, so now shit's going to get real. So we've got to at least keep podcasting until Jake feels this one. <laughs> till I collapse and fall off his chair, we'll just keep going. Oh, man, that's crazy. So you've been with him for... Six, seven years at this point, right? Seven, actually seven going eight probably. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. That's yeah. wild, man. Mm-hmm. It is It is surreal, right? Yeah, when it's you crazy. you kind of man. see it like in that way. Mm-hmm. But it's so yeah. nice that you've had the same coach the whole time because mm-hmm. then they really, you get to develop your style and he sees, and he's also growing too. He's learning, like he's learning new shit. Major's another guy, he's obsessed, right? He's always yeah, like he's, picking he's, up new stuff. He's a full-on nerd, man, like when it comes to all things martial arts. Yeah. 
We uh, we went to the one championship with him, Ooh. and I, I never want to watch a fight again without him. Just because he was sat next to me, just talking me through everything. I was like, "Yo, this is amazing!" And like breaking down everything to me, move by move. I was like, "Oh, Major, can, can you come to every fight I ever watch with me, so I can be clever like you?" Me and Major together at fights is literally like it's like a fucking yeah. I was sat between the pair. You're like, oh, I'm gonna be. But we, that, that's we, the... we don't shut up. We literally sit there and then we realize an hour is gone and we just sat there and just discussed. All... I mean, I think he's been in the podcast how many times? Four or five at yeah. least. I mean, that is literally like twelve hours of me and him just sitting here <laughs> talking shit about fights. It's so fun, right? Especially when you get to a certain point that you really get the 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 strategy right the one of them you're at that point now uh, you've you've started to develop this I'm sure but the the tactics become so important because re- the reality is like at a certain point the skill level starts to be similar and what I mean is like everybody knows how to do a single leg knows how to do a double leg know, has rudimentary like basic stand up the the subsequent skills that you need to fight are there so how do you uh, manage them and integrate them in a way where you can play your game and you can start to get what you want. And more often than not, that comes down to tactics. Like, how are you going to apply? How are you going to faint? How are you going to bait? How are you going to get the thing that you want to happen? And that is fucking, that's when you get to like the nuclear level mm-hmm. of fighting, right? That's- the real down to the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where guys like you and Major come in, right? Where like people who can really see all the different nuances across the different martial arts like combining all together like if you know just one thing sometimes you can't see what somebody like uh, that knows every not knows every like knows MMA specifically can see you know and you get the and the other thing is is that yeah because at a certain point you know when you're a beginner you, you get the if you ever heard the term newbie gains like with weightlifting or something, mm-hmm. you get the newbie gains, like right? Like that, that um, exponential growth Boom, at the start. you get that yeah, yeah, exponential yeah. spike at the beginning of mm-hmm. skill development but when you've been doing it for 10 years Man, getting you're now at the extreme ends, and getting development on the extreme ends is so difficult. Like gaining one percent when you're ten years in, and gaining one percent when you're a beginner is so different. <laughs> and then finding a way to develop, build the skills, and then so gaining that one percent is really hard. So it becomes a game of tactics. How do you implement your will? And T.J. Dillashaw, for example, is one of these guys who's got just fantastic tactics. You see him adapt, <laughs> like the Cody Garbrandt fights. When he gets dropped, when he got dropped early on, and it's happened several times, right? Mm-hmm. And you see him change tactics in the middle of the fight and find the areas where he's strong. Henry Cejudo is probably the best. Ooh. That motherfucker. Um, like, I don't know what he does, but he, first of all, he's a winner. That guy is just a winner. Mm-hmm. Like, the ultimate winner of all, him and John Jones. And then yeah. to see him adapt mid-fight, like that Marlon Moraes fight. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, shit, man. Fuck. fuck, he's getting, like, fucked up the first one, two rounds, and he just came back and fucking... Yeah, destroyed uh, Marlon. And he figured it out, right? He figured yeah. out what to do. And John Jones is another one. Because he, he can lose some rounds sometimes early on. Mm-hmm. And you just see him figure it out. Floyd, obviously, is... The, I mean, Floyd's pretty much in control the whole time because he's mm-hmm. so much better. Mm-hmm. But because he's a master defense and master tactician. And when you get those guys that really know... And you know what it is? It's like in jiu-jitsu, you know, when you get good enough at a certain skill, it doesn't mean you can always apply what you want, but at a certain point, there's only so many things you can do, right? Like if I, if I'm mounted you in Nogi, there's only so many moves you can do. You can hip escape, you can bridge roll, you can like upa, you can fucking kipping escape. Like there's only so many escapes that you can do. Like the actual avenues that you have 
are, are limited. And if you know the reactions each time, it makes it very predictable what the person is going to do. The same thing is true if you're on someone's back. Like if I have you in a seatbelt on a back, I can go to the overhook. I can go to the underhook side. I get two sides to go through. And then if I start to choke you, you have to defend the choke. There's only so many movements you could do. So the pattern becomes very predictable. And when you can manipulate the pattern because the variables of your resistance and your escapes are so slim, there's like really only so much shit you can do. Right? And that's when you start to become a master because you've narrowed the field to the point where your reactions are only capable of being a certain amount and you can manipulate it and then really start to get gains in it. It's like Gordon Ryan does this better than anybody. Like he's just so many steps ahead and he knows like there's only so many reactions that you can do that it just literally people look like a fish out of water. But the problem is MMA is so complex. It's so much more complex that boxing is the same way. This is why Floyd can – this is why there's really no – with the exception of John Jones – so far, there's there's no undefeated MMA fighters because the amount of variables in an MMA fight is just so huge compared to training something in isolation. So that's why I think uh, Cejudo, he, he, he trains only MMA. What do you think about that? Guys that like only do MMA training. They're not going to gi. They're not going to no gi. They're not wrestling practice anymore. They're not – they're only doing – MMA for all of their training sessions. Like, what, what do you think the value of that is in comparison to the value of, let's say, like again, training in isolation and then trying to build those skills? Mm, I think it's a bit of opportunity cost. I mean, it makes sense. Like, you're doing the thing that you're supposed to do, right? But uh, I think there is value in like sometimes compartmentalizing, especially it. in the beginning, right? Like yeah, in yeah, your, yeah, in your correct, early right. training, you, you need that like fine tuning for those specific things. Yeah, it takes the pressure off for you to kind of develop a little bit more. But yeah, I think at that level, like um, if all you're doing, I think because he has so much experience also, that's probably what he can do. Like uh, Valentina does the same. Like she only trains or she only likes to train like full MMA. Which, but at that point, like you're so experienced, you, you know what your style is, your game plan is. So at that point, you're just kind of rehearsing what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. From Valentina, Henry Cejudo, like, <laughs> I mean, come on. You're right, you do need to build the subsequent skills, but, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to figure out the prototype of an MMA fighter, I mean, you couldn't go wrong with either one of those people. But but, but do you think, like, so, like, this thing about, like, decision-making and, like, fight IQ, right, do you think it's something you're born with, or, or do you think you can kind of develop it? Because I feel like the, the amount of fight IQ that John Jones has, like, I don't see how you can teach that to somebody, to be honest. Well, I think, I think the fight IQ you definitely have to develop. But what you can't, but something that you can't train and people seem to be born inherently with, certainly athleticism and fast twitch. Mm. You know, that, you're just born with that. You're just born differently. Like, I mean, look at John Jones' family, for Christ's sake. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, when, when he, he's the least athletic of his family. <laughs> yeah. He's talking about getting beat up by his brother and shit. For both of his brothers play in the NFL, both of them are Super Bowl champions. He's the greatest fighter of all time. I mean, dude, you can't teach that. Come on, man. But tactically, but the tactics you have to learn. He still has to learn how to punch and kick. He still has to learn. You know, there's so much nuance. Like, are you fighting in an open stance? Are you fighting in a closed stance? Controlling the distance. Because you've seen a lot of fighters, you know, like Stefan Struve pops to mind, who's the, the tallest fighter to ever fight in the UFC, mm-hmm. didn't know how to manage distance Mark, Mark Hunt, the shortest heavyweight, knocked him out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Broke his jaw. And Isn't that something? Isn't that something? So you can have the physical skills and miss the the fight IQ and these things like distance and range. These things are so hard to train. Like these intangibles, like range and distance, you can develop all the drills that you want, but man, is it damn hard to really fine tune something like range and distance. And like what, you know, I, I teach this a lot when I'm teaching the, the, the Muay Thai 
classes and stuff, you know, because like if I kick you or something and I kick you in the wrong spot, it will fuck me up. Mm. Right. So learning like different and punching is of course, same way. So much of it is angles. Cause if I kick you in the wrong angle, I'm going to hit your elbow. I'm going to hit your hip. Maybe you'll check it. If your weight is on one foot as opposed to the other, I can get grievously injured because you can get Chris White. You know, I mean, if I throw a leg kick at you and the weight is on your back foot, you can lift your front knee and check it and break your leg. Mm-hmm. If the weight's on your front leg, you can't block that kick anymore. And how do you develop the timing of something as subtle as where is the weight on your foot, more your front foot as compared to your back foot? I mean, dude, that takes so much training to develop the kind of nuance to learn how to strike when the opportunity is hot, when somebody can't quite defend. And you're dealing with milliseconds. Like milliseconds. It's such a mind fuck. I, just, I seriously can't think. And even the same is true in jiu-jitsu, right? Like a good example is leg locking is a new trend, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's fucking got a boner for leg locking lately. <laughs> and you see even with the competition you did, the SGI, it was like everybody was leg locking each other in that tournament. Yeah. And, you know, one of the principles of leg locking is that you need the hands to be heavy because you need the legs to be light so that you can enter in on the legs. And, of course, the reverse is true. More upper body submissions are going to be available if the weight is heavy on the legs because the arms are free. And, like, getting your students to understand when the opportunity is there, and the, w- the weight on the hands needs to be heavy so that way you can actually lift in and get the entries into the leg attacks that you want to do. I mean, you can literally go to the nuclear level on this shit and that's what really makes it fun but what yeah what freaks me out about it and like you to a way higher level than i am but they you know sometimes i do stuff and it happens so quickly and i've got no clue how it's i'm like what like you how have i seen that how has that happened how have i got myself in this advantageous position it just doesn't make sense and you know there's something in there in your brain that just takes over and automatically like oh yeah like, you know what I mean? You've not got time to spot that someone's weight is on the wrong leg, but somehow you do. It's bizarre. Well, you can definitely have the muscle memory, right? The muscle memory can, can you know, I th- often think of the Thai fighters like this, because I'm sure you've trained with some Thais up to this point, and American wrestlers, or maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but American wrestlers are also like this. They're very rep heavy. Rep, 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 mm. rep, 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 rep. Everything's so rep heavy. And they can get so good with the timing and so good with the skill. It's damn hard to beat. But you ask them why they do something like they do, they can't explain it. Yeah. And this happened to me with uh, jiu-jitsu because, you know, I mean, I did jiu-jitsu for like 12, 13 years before I started to understand why things are the way that they are. And, uh, you know, like the, the John Danaher videos did a great job of like, you know, because you, you're still taught correctly in most cases. So you're taught how to do it in the right way. But getting them to explain why you do it that way is the hard part because they can often know what's right and wrong but can't explain why it's right or wrong. And this is the benefit of being like a a teacher is you try to parse that shit out. I mean I've been really big actually because we have the competition coming up tomorrow. So last week I've been talking about uh, levers and wedges, Mm -hmm. right? It's one of the most important parts of jiu-jitsu. It's a fundamental principle. And I, I would do it and understand it, but I wouldn't know why I had to do it the way that I do. So, for example, let's say you're taking an arm bar, right? If people, you know how people have a shitty arm bar and they flare their knees, mm-hmm. right? They don't know how to pinch and create the tight wedge around the arm. And if you watch people do an arm bar poorly, if their knees are wide, they can bridge their hips all the way to the ceiling and they won't get the break or they won't get the tap. They can have it, but the knees are flared and they bridge their hips and they're like, I don't understand why I can't get the tap. But the reality is the tighter the wedge on the object, the less force you need to apply the brake. So the more you pinch your knees on the – if you get people with a really tight armbar, they can literally go boop. They can bridge like a tiny amount and you're like, ah, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And then other – but you can also have people that have bridging their hips all the way to the ceiling. They got no more space to bridge 
and they won't get the tap because they don't understand the concept of wedges. And if we take the arm bar as an example, if I have you in an arm bar and I'm sitting up trying to pull your arm, right, and I'm pulling the middle of your forearm, you can get connect your hands and I can use my entire muscle to try to pull you and break that grip. It won't happen. Why? Because I'm controlling the middle of the lever. I'm not controlling the end of the lever, which would be the thumb. If I get a hold of your thumb with a small amount of force, I'll break that grip every time because I'm controlling the end of the lever. And that's where the maximum leverage comes from. So if you combine a concept of a, of a lever and a wedge, very easily you can break people's grip. And with a small amount of force, you can bridge it and get the break. And this applies to everything, right? Like if I'm going to do like a... a Let's say I do like an underhook sweep from the half guard, right? I get the underhook. I want to pick your far ankle and your far knee. If I try to pull, pick you in the middle of the thigh, I'll pull that all day. You can sprawl your knee out. But if I grab your knee or I grab your small toe, that's maximum control of the leg. I can easily pull you over. And I did that because I was taught how to do it. But I didn't understand the concept behind it. And then once it was explained to me, it's like, boom, you fucking, it's like clarity. It's like, oh, shit. All this stuff crystallizes in your head and your years of training finally matches with some fundamental concept that you learned. And it's just like, boom, it becomes crystal clear. And it's like, oh my God. And then you can apply that to all of the stuff that you learned. And it's really a fucking game changer, right? Because then you can apply it to so many other moves. And that's why teaching principles and concepts is so much of a faster path to mastery rather than teaching like a move in isolation. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but that's basically Kit Dale's video. That's what it is. He never talks, he never really goes for a move or anything like that. He's like, right, this is the concept. Like you're talking about leverage. So this is how leverage works. Apply it to your game. You know, oh yeah, wicked. <laughs> but but once you have the technical skill mm. and then it's like, you know, like like even learning a math problem or something. Like I'm sure you've, we all studied math when we were school, maybe way mm, back in the not day. Not so much. <laughs> if you're me. But you know what I mean? Like, you know, you can be sitting there and you can do it and you can do it and you can do it and you have all this subsequent training and then one day, it will just connect in your head and then it's just like Ooh. the glass breaks and then all of a sudden you have this like moment of eureka and you're like, oh my God, everything people have been saying to me all these years <laughs> finally makes sense. And when you get those breakthrough moments in martial arts, it's just a goddamn beautiful thing to witness. Sometimes when you teach people and you, and you just word it a certain way and all of a sudden you see it, they're like, oh, and you're like, yes, fuck yeah, you finally see that's the beauty of martial arts, right? Like, so many variables, but you just need that one thing to kind of connect it all together. And I think that's, like, the shift in, uh, like, teaching methodology, like, rep, right? Like, the old times were more like repetition, repetition, repetition. But now it's more like concepts and efficiency. Uh, yeah, pretty much. And especially when, like, people, it's so new. Like, Jiu-Jitsu's mm -hmm. only been around, like, globally for fucking 30 years. Mm -hmm. So it took so long for these actual concepts to develop and people starting to draw the line between all these different moves, you know, and the same thing can be true for striking. Like once you learn how to like turn your shoulders and shift your weight into a strike and you learn how to punch with your body instead of your arm, for example, or you learn how to turn the kick over and put it perfectly and the hip turns, the shoulder turns, whap, and the hand comes up to block and you're the first, I remember the first time I learned how to kick properly. It was like in 2013, I was training with Krunoy and I was just shadow boxing because he always made a shadow box and I threw a kick and my body did it right, and I felt it. Like, I've been taught how to do this kick so many times, but my body did it, and my brain connected, and I was like, oh, my God, I just threw the first. This is like seven years after I've been training, by the way. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a slow learner. But finally, it hit, and I was like, oh, shit. I finally fixed my body and my brain connected, and I had that moment of clarity. I was just like, oh, that's what it, it feels so good. 
when you get the breakthrough like that. And when, as a coach, when you teach someone and they get that, it's fucking satisfying, man. When you, that's real imparting real knowledge as opposed to like a move when they get a concept, it's just like, Oh man, it's like, it's like winning a fight almost. You feel so good when you get that. Right. I mean, you must've had something like that. You ever have a moment where something is just like, Oh, it just crystallizes in your head and you get this moment of clarity and it just makes sense. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, and it's hard to explain because at some point it's almost like you're you're thinking with your body. You know, it's not really like a mental thought. It's more like getting that familiarity, almost like muscle movement, but not quite. Yeah, it's also it's also like both. I think it's like when the when the brain, when the conceptual knowledge lines up with the physical training. It's like playing a guitar, right? Jake Jake and I are both guitar players. When you, you start to learn a scale or something on guitar, right? And the fingers start to do it, and then you learn another scale. And then once you start to see similar patterns in music, and the scale comes in, and then you can start to freestyle, and you can start to improvise. And it's just like, oh, shit. You get that moment of clarity, and the muscle memory lines up with the technical knowledge, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're, you're, you're improvising. You're creating something new off of the things that you've learned, and the mental understanding and the physical repetition lines up. And you hit that moment of synchronicity, and it's just like, ha! <laughs> you know what I mean? He said, I, I, yeah, I'm currently obsessed by it. I don't know if you've been watching it, and we're going on a slight tangent. Have you been watching the Let It Be, the Beatles documentary? No, I haven't. Oh, there's just a mad bit in that that sort of ties into what we're saying. That Paul McCartney's just stood there, like, and they've not got enough songs, and like, shit, what do we do? And Paul McCartney just sits down with a bass and basically writes, get back on the spot. And it's like, where does that come from? And it's the same thing in MMA of like, when you suddenly hit something and you're like, well, where did that come from? Because I don't think that was me, but I've just done it. Like, It's just it's the divine, so weird. Yeah, the exactly. divine creative yep. improvisational thing that happens with tons of training and mm-hmm. the, everything mentally happening and, phys- and the physical and the mental lining up in that perfect moment and yeah. the, boom, the head kick lands. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit! <laughs> you know and, what I mean? You get and that it moment. sounds bizarre to compare the two, like writing a song and throwing the correct technique perfectly but I think it just somehow comes from the same place it's it does it. yeah, it's yeah, that yeah. flow state mm-hmm. I feel like yeah, it's yeah. the flow state mm-hmm. when, I mean have you ever you know how you can like sometimes the flow state hits and it's so hard to fucking capture it and like really master it and sometimes it just isn't there like you ever had those days in training where it just doesn't yeah. fucking work and you're like, why isn't it working? And other days you and you're fucking rolling up everybody and you're just like you're vibing and the time you teleport and then you're like oh how do you Master that. It's like you're not even conscious. You're just going with it, you know? But then other days, you get in your head and you can't... And that's the thing with fighting, right? Because you need to have it on that day. And how do you fucking harness that? You can't force it. And like, if it's not there, it's really not You try to force it, you already fucked it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, You're already a step behind once you try to force it. Mm -hmm. But you need it. And if it's not there (laughs) when you need it, you're like, what do I got to do here? (laughs) Isn't that fucking crazy, man? Uh, Shit. But there's, there's days where I... Yeah, you know, he's training, he's training, you know what I mean? But you can go five rounds and you're in that zone and so it's like, oh, five rounds are up and you're like, oh, what happened? Where did the time go? And there are those other days where every single one of those five rounds is just absolutely miserable. Why am I here? I shouldn't have come today. Yeah, like, this is yeah. bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I always say this. This is one of my, like, teaching principles is that I always try to get all of my guys in the flow state because if you're, if my business is getting people to come to the gym, right? Like my business is getting people to show up. They don't show up. I don't make money, right? Mm-hmm. How do you get them to show up? Well, the number one thing for me is getting them into the flow state because I need them to want to come and you want to come if the time goes by quickly. 
if you come into class and you're just, especially as a beginner, white belt, blue belt, whatever, and you come into class and it's miserable and you're getting smashed and you're getting wrecked, why would you want to come back? Some people are gluttons for punishment, right? Okay, those fucking people don't count. You get, <laughs> you get the Russians and shit. They just, they're, they'll do whatever, right? Anyone from the Eastern Europe, no. Yeah, they're, they're down for it's whatever. It's built different. They're built different. <laughs> but you get the people that, the trick is you want it to be challenging enough, but not so challenging. If it's too easy, it's boring. If it's too hard, all of those things will take you out of the flow state. If you're not like intrigued and mentally curious, for example, cardio is a big one. If people don't have the base fitness level, time takes forever, mm. right? Yeah. Or if they're going with somebody who's smashing them and it makes them too uncomfortable. You want just that perfect ground. And if you hit that perfect state, the time goes by really quickly and you have fun. All of a sudden, an hour or two has gone by and you're like, oh shit, that, really? That was fun. Those people will come back. And so everybody I try to get, and I tell this all the time, like I, I literally say this ad nauseum, like if I'm rolling with you, I'm rolling with a white belt, I'm rolling with a blue belt, I want it to, you have to adjust it based mm. on who you're going with because your flow state is going to be, if I fucking let you fucking submit me a bunch of times, it's not going to be fun for you because you're like, what the fuck is going on? But if I smash you into the ground, you're like, well, okay, why is he beating me up? It's hitting that perfect zone, and for a white belt and a brown belt, it's going to be massively different. And if you can teach your students to find that space for the individual person they're rolling with, everybody's going to teleport to the end of training, and they're going to be vibing, and they're going to be having a good time. And that shit is magic. Mm. That's the yeah. real shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And you have to really instill that on the people that you're training with, because if you get them to be able to put each other in the flow state, it's give. It's take. I hate that smash jujitsu where you get the, you know, like the white belt comes in and the blue belt's like, this is my perfect opportunity to submit this motherfucker six times in one minute. <laughs> and I'm like, no. You get a couple of submissions, you hit your moves, and then you let them work a little bit. Because then they get to work from it. And if they let them work a little bit, then they're going to feel great. And you both are going to win. And you both get to do some shit. That is the secret. And if you're running a gym or you're owning a business, if you can get those people in the flow state, they will want to come back. If it's too easy or it's too hard, they're just going to be like, whatever. Why even bother? It's, that, a, it's a real secret, man. That's another thing. Like, I noticed specifically with combat sports, right? I don't think it's it's a... It happens as much in other sports, but ego always gets in the way of like getting that natural flow state because yeah. either you're a new guy that really just goes like 100%, almost ends up hurting people without realizing it, or like you're an experienced, maybe higher belt level that wants to um, assert dominance, you know, and then it just doesn't get fun. Maybe it gets fun for you for smashing somebody, but at the end of the day, like you might lose one training partner just because you keep doing that, you know, that guy could have progressed, maybe get a little bit better if you got him into that flow state, like get a good back and forth, help him to learn. But yeah. That is so well yeah. said, dude. I mean, that is literally like the number one enemy of my existence sometimes <laughs> is the ego coming in, right? Yeah. Because yeah. the thing is like the reality is like, let's say I'm rolling with a white belt. I, I, none of us gain nothing from me tapping that dude like eight times. Mm-hmm. But I still need to hit my moves or it's not fun for me. And it has to be fun for both people. Mm-hmm. So the move is tap him a few times, let him know you can. That will stroke your fucking ego, right? <laughs> if that's what you got to do, that will stroke your ego. But then after you show them, hey, I'm the boss. I'm in control of this. If that's what you want to do, then you let them work. And then you teach them. Like I can, I used to tell this to Charmaine because when she first started teaching, you know, she's small. She's 50 kilos, really small. And sometimes she would get like the 12, 13, 14-year-old boys or whatever. And she wouldn't like beat them a few times first. Mm-hmm. She would let them do stuff, right? And then all the other kids are watching this, and because they're young, they'll be like 10, 11 years old, they would think that the boy could beat her, which is nonsense, right? Of course they can't. So I'm like, listen, this is what you have to do. You have to go in there, and you tap him out a few times real quick. You let him know you're in charge, and then you let him work. 
right? Then you, then immediately you got his respect. And then when he does stuff to you, he knows that you're letting him do it. And he also feels like you're teaching him. You're not just making an example out of him. You show him what's up. The hierarchy is established. And after that point, then he's way more willing to learn from you because he knows now you're in charge and anything that he's doing is because you're letting him. And that is a twofold thing because one, it establishes your technical superiority. And two, it says, I'm trying to teach you. I could do this to you as much as I wanted to, but that's not what we're here for. And when you can establish that early on, especially with young kids, then the hierarchy is in order, everybody's happy, and then all the kids treat you the way that they should, which is somebody who's got a very specific knowledge and who's got a high skill set and that you're coming to learn for a reason. So I tell her, like, make an example of the big kid. Go and tap him out a few times and then let him work and let everybody see it. So then now they know, like, that's why I'm coming to you. You know what I mean? And I'm not a bully because I'm still letting you work and we're still both – it's a back and forth still. Places that do that though, because you are like you get the big athletic kids coming in like first class and stuff like that, and yeah, one of the things I've like spoke to is that occasionally you'll let Charmaine just let them know what's up, but they then make so much better training partners because like, they they also when you do that they're learning to do that to other people yeah so mm-hmm. that when the big kid comes in if that's if that's the attitude that the teacher is instilling upon the whole class then whenever the 12 or 13 year old that's like 10 kilos heavier than the big kid comes in the big kid will do that to the little kid too he'll get a couple quick taps and then he's going to teach him yeah and he's going to learn like i can't manipulate i can't use so much weight i can't do all of this stuff you get your moves and then you you move on it's really it's an amazing thing though when you get teach people the restraint mm. That really is like one of the most important, like low key aspects of martial arts that people don't do is the quality of teaching somebody like you could do this, but you're not going to, even if your fucking ego is like, I want to fuck it. You know what I mean? But it always seems to be sod's law though. That like when you, when you let yourself, like when you let yourself fall in someone with someone who's like the first class and they've just learned a Kimura and you just like, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give up position. I'll let them get in position. I'll let them try the move. They're like, always when the coach is watching that's <laughs> <laughs> so you're yeah, exactly. like shit exactly yeah, I think that shows a higher level of mastery being able to rest, like restrain yourself as compared to smashing somebody I think that really shows like how good you are I guess yeah and that your ego is in check yeah and that your ego is in check yeah because I mean I let people pass my guard all the time you know how many times the Brazilians let me pass their guard fucking never <laughs> ever even if they could dude when I you know like you, I roll with those guys especially the competitive ones it's not just Brazilians it's plenty of other people right I'm just using this as my personal story right and every time that I would do it like I just felt like a fucking like I was just an object used for their destruction right and it was in my opinion, unnecessary because I feel like that there's just better ways to learn. And I don't regret having done that because it does teach you certain lessons. I just feel like there's better ways to do it. And it is that understanding of restraint and understanding that just because you can't do something doesn't mean you should. Mm. Right? And it's really hard when the ego flares up to do that. But once you have mastery of that, you're just a way more peaceful person in general. Like, I let people pass my guard all the time. I'm not like, ooh, you can't pass, you know? But maybe if somebody passes my guard when I'm really actively trying to do it, they're like, okay, now it's on. That was the problem. But I'm not going to impose it on people who aren't ready for it or who don't know what it is, right? Like, if I'm sparring with somebody for the first time, I'm not going to throw a hard fucking low kick or, like, and it hurt them, hit them to a body way too hard because they're not ready for it and they don't know what's happening. Like, heel hook. Once I teach people a heel hook, even if they're white belts, everybody can heel hook in my gym. My only rule is one, don't do it to somebody who doesn't know what's happening because they might turn into it and hurt themselves. And two, don't do it to somebody who's not ready for it. 
if, as long as they're ready for it and they know what it is, then you can start to do these things. But if you impose it on somebody who's not ready for it and they don't know what's happening, then you're a fucking asshole. <laughs> but, you know, like when you get better, you want hard rolling. You want hard sparring. You will build to that point where you enjoy it more when it gets a little bit harder. But just don't force it on people who aren't ready for it because it really just means you're a cunt. <laughs> well, unless, say, you're in a pro fight and you crucifix someone who clearly doesn't know how to get out of it, Kaishan. Mm. <laughs> Sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah, but that's a fight, man. Yeah. You're in a fight. You kill or be killed. That's yeah. it. That's yeah. it. You, you sign up for that shit. Yeah, that's that's a scenario where you're off. This is what I tell people too all the time. Hey, you, you want to fucking bro down? You want to throw full power shots? Do it in the fight. Mm. The training's not the time. Your teammates are not the person to experiment with full power punches. If you do that, you're a dick. You want to do that? We can set it up. No issue, man. I can get you to fight in a few months. Mm-hmm. If you want to see what it's really like, then you go do that because if you're throwing 100% shot in training, you're missing the point. Especially if these are your people. Like, we're one team. As soon as you do that, you're done, man. Like You're missing the point of this, right? All right, I just heard the camera beep. Let's, let's finish this thing up, man. We've, we've cooked it here. This is almost two hours. Yeah. Right on. So, Kaishong, how is this, bro? Yeah, it's fun, man. Good Shit. stuff, First right? time, like, like, like a... we're going to get graphics and not Kaishong's final thoughts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it should be recording. Huh? All right. Well, let's fucking bag yeah. this thing, dude. Kaishong, this was good. You came yeah, on the, the podcast with Tiffany and shit like that, but I'm glad we got to sit here yeah, and, fun, and yeah. do one. It's fun, right? Mm-hmm. The time, again, you hit the flow state. The time just teleports. Throw out your yeah. social media and all that shit so we can go get another beer. Yeah, so um, <laughs> uh, at the real Kaishong. Yeah. <laughs> I made it like years ago, but it's still... I guess this will be... I hope, I hope one day, like... I'll be big enough to actually be the real Kaishong. Just know? take out the real. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and yeah. uh, you know, maybe it'll look March, March, April? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, that'll yeah, be fun. Yeah. Alright, everybody, and Jake, the sign off with all the new equipment. How you feeling, dude? It's been stressful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will be I a just master- hope he's actually recorded this time and it's not just a blank screen again. Yeah, that, that's that's what we're really hoping for. Alright, everybody, this has been the Stronghold Podcast. I think this is episode. 62 damn seven more seven more till it's funny do you, <laughs> yeah exactly do you think this is a blue belt you think i'm a blue belt are we blue belts in podcasting yet <laughs> what's the number uh, i'd even go with all this equipment i'm going one stripe blue belt oh shit all right did you just give me a stripe jake i just promoted you oh shit <laughs> no because you are, right i am amazed that i came around and you were like oh i've plugged it all in i was like oh fucking hell here we go <laughs> but, but it did work actually done it hey i just officially earned my stripe it's so i'm promoting you getting a stripe from me you know time. what i like this role reversal jake you need to promote me more often bro <laughs> it seems like the meta though a good podcast is having a bald host that can that can speak you got joe rogan you got you you got fuzz hey bald is beautiful we got beers we're bald we're rocking here everybody thank you if you enjoyed this podcast please like share and subscribe you can find this on Apple. You can find it on Google. You can find it on Spotify. And of course, hopefully, assuming the video doesn't fuck up this time, you can find it on YouTube. And if you uh, like that stuff, it means the world. We really appreciate everybody who's listening. This is the Stronghold Podcast. Thank you for listening. Oh, yeah. oh, this is <laughs>